So lesson number one, how not to preach, uh, is uh, don't copy other preachers. So many mistakes we can make this afternoon. Second mistake is, in terms of contextualization, if you are in South Africa, do not come out of the closet as an all-black supporter. That would be a very, very bad move, but I am an all-black supporter. If you must tell people that you are an all-black supporter, then you must not, in March 2016, make reference to the 2015 World Cup in South Africa, because you could be shooed off stage. But if there's one thing that could get you deported, it would be showing this man's face on the screen. Why am I doing that? It's because my mental image, as we talk about confidence in the gospel, this, it's a terrible illustration, I know, in South Africa, but my mental image of us leaving, leaving this building is with the confidence, the kind of confidence that you imagine the All Blacks stepped out onto the English rugby fields, wherever the World Cup was last year. If there's one image I have of confidence, it's that kind of like Richie McCall, Dan Carter. We are expecting victory. And that's my heart for us this morning. Some uh, Richie McCall stats. Listen, I know this is tough for you. For the sake of the gospel. Please listen to this and don't worry. Love him or hate him, that's cool. But I want you to think about the kind of confidence this would have brought to the All Blacks playing. They say that Richie McCaw had a talisman effect, him and Dan Carter. If you're on the field wearing an All Black jersey with Dan Carter, Richie McCaw, it's going to be okay. Richie McCaw, 148 tests, world record, 110 of them as captain. 131 wins. 61 tests at home in New Zealand, of which he only lost two. 27 tries for the All Blacks. That's the 13th highest of any All Black ever. Third most all-time by a forward. 10 Bledisloe Cups. Four Tri-Nations. Three Rugby Championships. This is one not competed in and two World Cups. That's my image of us this morning, is leaving here with a real confidence. If you don't like uh, rugby, you may enjoy golf. I hate golf. But the golfers tell me there's something called the Ryder Cup. And the Ryder Cup is a European teams against American teams. And uh, the Americans dominated for the early 80s and the 70s before that. They were on top. Until in about 1985, enter Sevi Ballesteros. And he was the king of golf, one of the greatest golfers of all time. And uh, as they started to get the upper hand, the European teams would put Sevi out first to play. And then what the Europeans did is not just had Sevi out first to play, but they would put up leaderboards around the course. So that as the rest of the European golfers were golfing, they would look up at the leaderboard and see how well Sevi was doing, and as a result of that, they would play differently. And this afternoon and the following 20 minutes or so, I don't have new stuff to tell you. I'm not going to try to come up with something you've never heard before, but what I'm going to try and do is lift up our champion before us just one more time, 
lift up the gospel before us just one more time. And it's my belief, I'm in faith, that as we do that, it's going to change the way we see ourselves. I want to lift up the gospel. I want to lift up Jesus. As Craig said before lunch, Jesus is the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus. And he's our champion. He goes before us. The gospel, Tim Keller said, isn't just the ABC of the Christian life. You've heard this one. But it's also the A to Z. It's not just the way to enter the kingdom, but it's the way to address every problem and the key to growth at every step. So we want to look at the gospel today. We're going to look at three snapshots of the gospel in action in a place called Philippi. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. Before you go there, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 10, I want you to answer the question, when do you feel at your most confident? When do you feel at your most confident? For some of you, it might be after a 48-hour advance conference in Johannesburg. For others, it might be when you've done your strengths finder and you know your spiritual gifts and you are playing to your strengths in the sweet spot of who you are. For others of you, it's when someone's just been born again or when when you've just brought a prophetic word and someone says, yes, I know exactly what that means. It may be different things for different ones of us, but I want to submit to you that for Jesus' disciples, one of their moments of high confidence would have been in Luke chapter 10. And the Bible tells us, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus sees a teachable moment, and so he gathers his disciples in, and he goes into coaching mode, and he says, listen, if you think that's amazing, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. How's this for a confidence booster? He goes on to say, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and defeat hostile entities. Nothing will harm you. Can you imagine hearing Jesus Christ say that? Man, you're like, this is power! And then he says, but... However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Leaders, we don't want to miss what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's saying to his disciples, I don't want you to base your confidence on what is happening around you, no matter how good. But I want you to base your confidence, not on what you are doing and what's happening around you, but on the spiritual reality of what God has done for you already in heavenly places. Do you understand? Our names are written in heaven. And that's the kind of confidence that Paul carried with him 
into Philippi. And you and I need confidence. Going back to Nairobi tomorrow, we need confidence. We're facing battles. You're facing battles. You're going back to relational battles, financial challenges, faith challenges, health challenges. You're going back to huge issues. We heard about relativism before lunch. We're going back. One of the big battles in Nairobi right now is Islam, running right down through the middle of Kenya, pushing down from North Africa. And we need confidence to face these battles. So we're going to watch the Apostle Paul in action. Acts 16, verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she persuaded us. This is the first cameo, and God willing, we'll pray after each of these cameos. But the first cameo is Lydia getting saved. And I want us to focus on how Lydia got saved. The Bible says that the Lord opened her heart. I was in a meeting a few days ago, and people said, tell us about how you got saved. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've got a spectacular conversion story. It goes something like this. I grew up in in a Christian home, and at some point I believed. The end. (laughs) And yes, that is what, you know, some of us have more spectacular stories. But sometimes we can lose sight of the power, and this is the gospel that you and I were saved by a miracle when God opened your heart. That's what happens when anyone gets saved. When Tyrion was giving that list of he came to Christ, she came to Christ, she came to Christ, all of that, underneath all of that was God opening a heart one by one by one. And there's a greater illustration of this in Luke chapter 15. You know the story where people come to Jesus and say, hey, why are you eating with tax collectors and and sinners? And Jesus doesn't tell just one parable. He tells three stories back to back. He tells the story of the lost Sheep, and then the story of the lost coin, and then the story of the lost. And you know, there's a story, there's a part in the story of the lost son where the Bible says, you know, he's sitting in pig muck and thinking, man, the the servants of my father's house eat better than this. And then the Bible says that he came to his senses and he got up and he went back to his father. But some people would argue, and I would agree with them, that the reason that the Bible gives us those three stories back to back is because the story of the lost son is incomplete. It's an incomplete picture of our coming to God if you don't read before it the story of the lost coin and of the lost sheep. You see, in the story of the lost son, we see the son coming to his senses. It's like a light bulb moment. Bing! And I'm going to go back to the father, and we see the father receiving the son. The lost son is a, it's a parable about the receiving love of the father. But the parable of the lost coin, which comes before, and of the lost sheep, which comes before that, tells us about the initiating, seeking love of the father. Do you remember that there's a, a, a shepherd who has 99 sheep? And he, he finds that one is missing. 100 sheep finds one is missing, leaves 99 out in open country. And he goes on an all-out search, the Bible says, 
until he finds it. And then he puts that sheep on his shoulders. He carries it back home. And he says to his friends, rejoice with me. My sheep was lost, but now it's found. That's the story, friend, of your salvation and my salvation. You didn't have a light bulb moment in the ministry meeting. But Jesus Christ himself, the good shepherd, went on an all-out search for you and I until he found you. And the good shepherd became the lamb of God who was slain and died for our sins so that the door of our hearts could be opened and he could pour his spirit into our lives. Time for a Spurgeon quote. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. One weeknight, when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon because it was Thursday afternoon and we had just had lunch. The thought struck me. How did you become a Christian? Well, I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I shouldn't have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. Well, I prayed, thought I. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then, in a moment... I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the doctrine of grace opened up to me and from that doctrine I have not departed to this day and I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. Now friends, this has massive implications for our ministry if, our, if we ascribe our change Holy to God. If it's true that the only thing I contribute to my salvation, to my justification, is the sin that he so graciously forgives. If that is true. Number one, three quick implications. Number one, we'll remember our salvation differently. When we think, does God save? If I talk to these people, as I share the gospel... Will God do something? Well, we remember that we are exhibit A. That as the gospel is shared, God opens the doors of hearts. That's the only reason you and I are in this room. And we can step out in faith knowing that he's going to do the same as we share the gospel. Number two, you and I will be able to flee. Number one is remember. Number two is we'll be able to flee. Flee from what? I love this. Watch this. One guy, I don't know who he said this. He said, you know, I have made a pile, I've made a heap of all my bad deeds and all my good deeds and fled them both for Christ. Do you understand that that's what the gospel tells you? Do you understand that if God chose you before you'd done anything, before you'd put up your hand, if God chose you and opened the door of your heart. Spurgeon said, I think he said that, do you know what, God must have chosen me before I'd done anything because he certainly wouldn't have chosen me after. 
But what that means is that as believers, we don't just flee from our bad deeds. We also flee from our good deeds as a means of getting God's acceptance. And we lean on Christ and Christ alone. Do you know what that means? It means it doesn't matter if you stayed for the after lunch session or not. It means it doesn't matter how well I preach in terms of my standing before God. It means it doesn't matter whether you come up to me with a cup of tea, legs, or whether you come up and say I did well. It doesn't matter because I don't need good deeds to justify myself in God's presence. I don't need to perform. I don't need to outpreach anyone. I'm accepted just as I am. Friends, you and I are not created to carry the pressure to perform in our ministries. Pressure against the devil, fine, we can do, but you are not designed to carry the pressure to perform. And as leaders today, God's calling us to flee not just our bad deeds, but to flee even our good deeds in terms of gaining favor before God. Flee them both for Christ. I'd love us to pray right now. Could number one, could you all stand up, please? Number one in the group, could you pray this into the other two hearts in your group? That they'd remember the magnitude of their salvation? Can you pray that they'd flee from the pressure of performance? That they flee from good deeds as a means of gaining God's favor? Flee them both for Christ. Just pray that home. Just got 30 seconds. A few more seconds. Just a few more seconds and be wrapping it up, please. Be wrapping it up. All right. You can grab a seat. Now we move on to the slave girl, part two. One more thing from part one. Said there were three things. Number one is that we we remember. Number two is we flee. Number three is we preach. This is the gospel, friends, that God accepts us, not because of good things we have done or will do or are doing, but because he loves us and he loves his son. That's the good news. If you can get that into your meetings, into your counseling, into your prayers, that is the gospel. Charles Spurgeon's grandfather was preaching, and uh, as he was preaching, Charles walked in to the back of the room, and his grandfather's name was James. He said, here comes my grandson, Charles, and he said, Charles can preach the gospel better than I do. Then he says to Charles, but Charles, you can't preach a better gospel, can you? (laughs) Now listen, friends, PJ going to DC may preach the gospel better than you do, but he can't preach a better gospel. You have the gospel, you have the real thing. And if that's what we're delivering to our people, Jesus plus nothing, there's power in our churches, there's power in our pulpits. But the next day, Paul goes along, and the Bible tells us that uh, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of Okay, the image, I get it, okay. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. 
This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. John Stott observes that this lady, he says that she's in double bondage. Socioeconomically, she's in bondage to her owners. At a psycho-spiritual level, she's in bondage to the evil spirit. Do you see that the gospel brings freedom from both? You see, as believers, we look into the psycho-spiritual state of the individuals we encounter. We also look at the socio-economic dynamics going on in a city or in a nation. And behind them, we are able to perceive spiritual forces. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, we do not wrestle. It doesn't say, we do not wrestle, full stop. But it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, this is, what, this is important, especially for reformed people, because our understanding of the gospel can easily encompass the courtroom where the guilty are declared not guilty. It can easily encompass the family where uh, rebels become adopted sons. But if we go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, there is what theologians call the proto-evangelion, the first proclamation of the gospel, where God in Genesis 3 says that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. That's the first announcement of the gospel, and it is victory in spiritual warfare. And you and I need to remember that. And we look at the story and we're reminded that Jesus has won the victory. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that, next up please. Colossians chapter 2 says about Jesus having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I need help from my friend Andrew Wilson this afternoon. He says this, we can think of the cross as the means by which we will defeat Satan rather than the means by which he has already been defeated. So everything in our lives, from our evangelism to our growth and personal holiness, becomes a question of completing a victory that has not yet been achieved. The New Testament's theology of evangelism, let alone of sanctification, is not based on completing a victory, but on recognizing one. You may have heard of Japanese Lieutenant Hiru Onoda. Of course. He refused to believe that World War II was over, and he remained in hiding from 1945 until 1974. 1974, he was finally reached by a college dropout called, you guessed it, Suzuki. (laughs) Onoda had lived under a false view of the world, pledging allegiance to a long-defeated power for 29 years. Suzuki proclaimed to him the good news that the war was over. Another term for this is preaching the gospel. 
and Onoda finally brought his life and his behavior in line with the truth of the gospel. We see not just souls, but whole societies in bondage. And as believers, we believe that Jesus has won the victory against spiritual forces of oppression and manipulation and control at national level and at personal level. And as we advance in spiritual warfare, we care about the individual, but we also care about the society. I'd love us to stand together and I'd love us to pray. Number two in your groups, please pray that we be a people who understand the completed victory of Christ. That when he said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it is finished. Would you pray that into the two hearts of the other people in your group? Then we're going to get together and wrap it up. Fifteen more seconds. Great. As soon as you're done, please grab your seats again. Got to bring this in for a landing. The last picture. Lydia's heart opened by the sovereign God. Slave girl set free from double bondage. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, seized Paul and Silas, dragged them before the magistrates and authorities. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. There's a whole sermon about that. Verse 25. Along about the midnight hour. I feel a preach coming on. (laughs) Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He said, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. The jailer took them and washed their wounds, Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. In one night, the jailer goes from being a professional torturer who puts people in stocks overnight to being a wound-washing, meal-preparing, water-baptized servant of the gospel. How does that happen? Only the gospel has the capacity to transform a human heart. Only the gospel can transform a politician's heart. Only the gospel could transform your heart and my heart. That is the hope for individuals. It's the hope for a nation. It's the hope for a continent. It is the hope for the world. And we need to leave here confident in the gospel. 
I wish we had time to have an interview this afternoon, and we have the, the, the jailer, and we had Lydia, and we had the slave girl over here, and we'd hand the mic around, and we'd say to, we'd say to, uh, to, to the jailer, tell us about your experience of the gospel. The jailer would say, man, the gospel came into my life. It was like an earthquake that rocked my world. And the interviewer says, that, 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 that sounds fantastic. Tell us more. And the jailer says, fine, I'll tell you the story. In the midst of this earthquake, the doors around us were blown open. And Lydia is sitting next to him. And she's nodding silently because she remembers how the gospel of Jesus Christ blew open her heart and heart to see the face of Jesus Christ. And the jailer goes on and he says, oh yeah, and then, then after that the, 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 the doors blew open. Then after that, every chain in the place fell off. And this unnamed slave girl is remembering how she was in double bondage the gospel of Jesus Christ is what set her free inside and outside. You see, friends, the gospel's like an earthquake that rocks the worlds of those who hear it. The gospel blows open the doors of hardened hearts to cause us to see the glory of Jesus Christ, the kindness and goodness of God. The gospel is like chains falling off. Every man, woman, and child who believes because of this, the gospel creates a humble and a confident people. Humble because all the glory must go to him, not to us. But confident because his gospel has lifted us up. It's made us secure. It's opened our hearts. It's filled us with his spirit. It's broken the chains that bind us. And it's sent us out into the world in his authority to share this life-changing gospel. Shall we stand together? I'd love us to pray one last prayer as Ben comes on up. Number three in your group. Would you pray that God would send us out with a fresh confidence in the gospel? Pray that God would use us to break chains with the gospel. That hearts would be blown open wide in the communities that he's sending us back into. Let's lift our voices in prayer. Another 15 seconds. I'd love to pray for us. Maybe as you break out of your groups, you can grab the hand of the person next to you. I'd love to pray over us. But I thank you for the confidence that comes from the gospel itself. I think that we can look to you, Lord Jesus, and find fresh courage, fresh confidence. God, I pray that we carry a conviction of what you have done in our lives already. 
God, I pray that we'd carry a conviction about the incredible victory you won on the cross 2,000 years ago, that we live in the good of it today. God, I pray that you'd break performance, performance mentality over individuals, over churches. Got any traces of it in this movement? Would you remove it by the power of your gospel? God, where we are no longer expecting victory in Jesus' name, God, would you reawaken us, reawaken faith and confidence? Move us from a partial victory mentality to a fresh awe and wonder at the magnitude of your finished work on the cross. Thank you that you have disarmed principalities and powers. Lord Jesus, bring us back to you plus nothing. For confidence before you, for confidence before one another, for confidence before a world that needs to hear the gospel. Jesus, bring us back to you. Let's sing together.